This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello and welcome to the first 2022 episode of Analyzing Anfield, your tactics and analytics podcast, courtesy of the Blood Red channel. I'm joined after a short hiatus by David Hughes. Dave, how was your new year, mate? Happy New Year, mate. Uh, how was it? Yeah, it was okay. Fairly, fairly quiet. Um, which, as you get older, I think you, you look a little bit more forward to them. You know, gone are the days of the, uh, <laughs> the really late nights. Not that I'm a fossil, but sometimes I feel like it. But yeah, it was all right in short, mate. Looking forward to a, a good 2022, hopefully. How was yours? Yeah, it was good. Quiet myself. Um, but we had quite we had a little bit of a Christmas break. Um didn't have a podcast last week for the first time in quite a while, actually. Uh, but it's it's given us the opportunity this week to kind of have a take stock talk, maybe, um, where we look at a number of different talking points, run over them, what we think, and that obviously the title race has changed quite a bit since we last spoke. Uh, and in addition to that, given that it's January, obviously transfer season in full flow, everyone goes a bit mental. Um, me and Dave are going to tip two players each for the summer to come to Liverpool. So, yeah, that's the first time I've done it in quite a while. So, we uh, look forward to that one. But first of all, Dave, we can't look beyond the title race, really, can we? Um, last time we spoke, it was tight, I think. Um, now it's not. So, uh, what's, what's your take on the, the landscape at the minute? Yeah, look, I mean, I'm just bringing up the table to see exactly what it is now uh, in terms of point dif- points difference. Um, yeah, it did feel a lot tighter, didn't it, last time we were on? So, um, Liverpool now third, 42, City 53. Although Liverpool do have that game in hand, I guess, hopefully, you know, from a Liverpool perspective, close that gap. But, yeah, you know, those... Um, over the festive period, really, that Leicester results, the 1-0 defeat, I think it's fair to say me and you both didn't see that coming. Um, we backed a fairly comfortable Liverpool victory. Uh, I thought I wiped a little bit with it. Um, and then the Chelsea-Liverpool game, you know, that was always going to be a tough fixture to go there, but um, to go 2-0 up, okay, if, if we're being honest, uh, it probably felt a little bit fortunate to have that 2-0 lead. But once you've got it, you you, you anticipate Liverpool have enough to to kind of see Chelsea out. Uh, it didn't quite happen. And that ended up being really costly. And um, when City in the form they're in, you know, win week in, week out, you need to kind of go keep pace with them, go toe-to-toe. Liverpool dropped a few points. And unfortunately, it's it's had quite a heavy impact on, on the title race. Yeah, Um I think you can effectively rule Chelsea out for me. I don't think Chelsea can win it anymore. Um, 10 points behind City, having played exactly the same number of games and currently 11 goals worse off in terms of goal difference. So I don't think Chelsea can win it. And to be honest, I don't think Liverpool can win it really. Um, I said over the course of the weekend that Liverpool had to beat Chelsea. And if they didn't, I think... Arsenal had to take something from City. And obviously neither of those things happened. Um, in a normal season, when you're not up against Pep Guardiola, I would say Liverpool have a chance and stuff like that. But I just think when City get this lead, when Pep Guardiola's got a hold over the league, it's it's pretty much gone, I think. Um, 
And when you look at it's a bit grim, like but when you look at um five thirty eight, which we use fairly often uh, in terms of probability and things like that. As it stands, Manchester City eighty five percent on to win the league. Liverpool thirteen percent and Chelsea two percent. So whether you would look at Liverpool's thirteen percent as a chance, you know, I suppose it's open to interpretation, not sure what your take is or not, Dave, but I, it's very, very unlikely as well, I'd say. Yeah, yeah, just because I think um City haven't really been lacking any sort of consistency. I think they've they've won every game since about October now. Um, you know, just and they do seem to have this in them where they can put together a run of you know, 15, 16, 17 victories back to back. I don't expect that they'll win every game from here on out, but it's just whether they'll lose enough games or drop enough points to for Liverpool to close the gap. Because I think the issue for, for me, Josh, is although Liverpool still look really strong, you know, they don't look as strong as they were, say, two years ago in terms of consistency, at least. So, even if uh, City did open the door to, um, in a way, aka you know dropping dropping points from now to the end of the season, you know, do you back Liverpool to be perfect from here on out to close that gap? I I don't. You know, I think Liverpool are going to drop more points as well. So I think for that reason, um, the kind of figures that we're talking about in terms of you know predicted finishes, um, you know, using five thirty eight as the example there. You know, I think that's probably, and sadly for, you know, people listening, an accurate summary of where the title races are. Yeah, I actually think individually in a in an opposing match, in a one-off game, I think Liverpool can match City, and I think the first 11 is better than City, as I've said that for quite a while now. Um, but you have to look at the season as a whole at the minute. Obviously, anything can happen, but we, we have 20 games of evidence for Liverpool this season in the Premier League. 21 games of evidence for Manchester City. And based on those 20 games Liverpool have played in particular, I agree with you. You, you can't say that on the back of those, Liverpool have showcased enough consistency to go and be, you know, whatever. I think it'd have to be nine points better off than Manchester City in the, over the next 18 games. I just can't see it. Um, it's frustrating because if you look at the numbers behind the season so far, Liverpool have actually spent less time losing than Manchester City have. Uh, Liverpool have only been losing so far this season for 154 minutes. City, 160 minutes. Um, and Chelsea, even better, 115 minutes. Chelsea have been behind four. But then if you look at total time in the lead, City are out in front. Um, and I think it just kind of comes back to the whole, you know, draws, wins, losses in terms of a title race. Liverpool have obviously picked up a fair few draws so far. Chelsea have picked up a few draws, I think. City just seems to be able to to go and get the win more often than not. And I think this season, Liverpool are going to have a good campaign. I think it's going to be... I actually think it's one of the most entertaining Liverpool teams I've seen. Mm. Um, just tons and tons of goals. I know there's chaos and a lack of control, which is frustrating and probably going to cost us the title. But that as a whole does kind of add to the entertainment value of, of Liverpool as a team, I think. Um, so, yeah, it's a frustrating one, but I think Liverpool are pretty much in a battle for second, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. I was just, as we were as we were chatting away then, I was having a little look at this, um, a little bit deeper on the numbers you were saying. And, yeah, you know, Man City have got a, 
perfect record when they've scored first this season. You know, they scored first in sixteen matches and, and won sixteen. You know, the only Norwich are the only team with another hundred percent record, but they've only scored first in, in one game. <laughs> so, um, and then I'm having a look at Liverpool, and Liverpool have done quite well. They, you know, they haven't lost have they, after scoring first, but um, I guess it gets in terms of you know when 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 the opponent scores first, it gets a little bit tougher. They've, uh, they've only won one out of six occasions. You know, they've drawn two and uh, sorry, drawn three and lost two of those games. So, um, yeah, just. I guess the point I'm trying to make is, you know, City tend to take the lead more often than not, and as we see when they do, they they they, they grind it out, which was a which was a trait of Liverpool, of thought in that you know 1920 campaign did really well in terms of um, going ahead and then just um, basically shutting up shop and and being really difficult to break down, not giving away cheap goals, and and obviously it was it was really key to the success in terms of picking up the points on the way to win the league. Yeah, again, it, it is frustrating when you look further into the numbers because in attack, in particular, Liverpool are the best in the league. Um, if you look at expected goals per 90, minus penalties, uh, Liverpool are top, got the best XG in the league on average, uh, ahead of City and then Chelsea and then Leicester. Um, I think it's the same when it comes to shots. Yeah, when it comes to shots, Liverpool are top again. But then on the defensive side, uh, Liverpool are fourth. Four expected goals against, um, and Manchester City uh, at top, and it's by quite a distance as well. The distance between Liverpool's attack and City's attack is fairly marginal, but the distance between Liverpool's defence and City's defence is quite significant. And I think you can look at that simply, really, as the reason behind why City, are, I think, eight points ahead or will be eight points ahead when Liverpool if Liverpool win their game in hand. I think I might say. So yeah, unless unless you would want to add anything, Dave, we can move on to maybe more Brighton notes potentially. I, yeah, it it sounds very miserable, that doesn't it? I think there'll be you know a few that I had who will be thinking we we're being quite pessimistic. Uh, so apologies, it, it's not that, but it's just about having that element of realism. You know, if if City was to go and lose two games back to back, Liverpool win two, then you know it, it completely changes it. And there's enough games for something like that to happen, but you can only really judge. City on what we know over these last few years, and they've uh, they tend to be kind of ruthlessly uh, efficient, don't they? When in these positions, so it's going to be tough, I think. What I will say is, which is again very very annoying, is City's last two Premier League games, they have posted an expected goals that is in their bottom three for the season. So their last two games are in the bottom three up for their season for expected goals. So in other words, their past two games, they have not played well. And I've watched both games against Arsenal and against Brentford. City have not been anywhere near their best. And they were the games that you drop points, usually when your performance isn't there. But what happens? City going to scrape a 1-0 win against Brentford um, and against Arsenal. I mean, we we all know what happened against Arsenal. Sendings off and penalties and... And all this sort of stuff, last minute goals. So it is hard. And I, I did want to, um, I, I understand that, like, this is Liverpool podcast and people will want us to be going the other way. But then obviously the analytics focus in this podcast has to highlight the, the probability of Liverpool winning this league, which is, which is very, very slim. But I did just want to give a reluctant nod to, to Pep Guardiola because I do, I do think he is, he, he is absolutely ridiculous when it comes to, coaching the teams who win a league 
I don't think you can get near him. Um, I think over the course of his managerial career, I understand he's had the best teams all the time, but Liverpool have a very, very strong team at the minute. Chelsea have a very, very strong team at the minute. Real Madrid had a very, very strong team in Spain. Um, and out of all those seasons, really, he's only lost the league twice, I think, apart from the first season in Manchester, which Antonio Conte won, but I think he was still getting tickets with his team and things like that then. But I just think Guardiola as a whole is Liverpool's biggest problem in terms of securing another league title. I don't think... It, I know City have obviously invested lots of money in the squad. They've got lots of depth and things like that. But I think if you remove Guardiola and you put in another top coach, I don't think City have an eight-point lead. I think it's it, it's it's Guardiola comes back to Guardiola and when City in any, in any sort of trouble, they never seem to be particularly under the cost. They just seem to pass the way out of it. Um, and I just think he is, despite the... the Obvious benefits he he, he gets from uh, having a, a really strong squad all the time, things like that, and and extensive backing and stuff. I do think he's an absolute ridiculous coach. I think he's probably arguably the best ever. Yeah, yeah, I think they're all really fair comments, um, and it's no slant on clock, but you do wonder kind of you know how City will uh, adapt once he goes, and I think he'll probably be a little bit more appre- not that he's not appreciative appreciated anyway he's still considered one of the best managers uh, around but I think he'll be slightly more appreciative um, once he's gone and whoever comes in and takes over City and you realise that it isn't really a case of just putting any figure in there to manage the team and being successful you know there's a lot that goes into those movement parts even if you do have the financial backing um, that City have and as I said it'll, it'll be one to revisit I think um, he's, he's only got a is it two years left at, at, at the Etihad now? Yeah, um, I think he's got next. Is it is it next season? At the end of next season, he goes. Or I think it's the end of next season. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, which is obviously good news for for Liverpool. Um, and, but I suspect in those years to follow, you'll you'll kind of see why Guardiola was was so good with with what he done with that City side, and you know, it's been a shame from a Liverpool point of view that Liverpool have. You know, finally reach the the pinnacle again. You know, become one of England's best sides um, after you know years of nearlies. Um, but City remain this kind of thorn in the in, in Liverpool side, and maybe stop them picking up more more uh, trophies than than the team probably deserved. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. But yeah, in, in terms of other talking points that we wanted to address, Sadio Mane has been a bit of a talking point since we've been away. Um, I think he was a start of it was, it was something like he hasn't scored in his last seven Liverpool games in all competitions. It might have been eight, it might have been nine, something like that it was. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he went and scored against Chelsea, um, which was good and which I suppose kind of negates the point that we're going to make now. But... Um, in terms of his season as a whole, how, how would you say he's been, Dave? And, um, if you look at the influence of scoring goals on on perception, do you, get, do you see what I mean? I think yeah, if, yeah. You, if you score on a bit more, people don't think it's an issue, whereas if he's not, people automatically think his overall game is, is got, has gone to bits. Yeah. I mean, I think it's firstly worth pointing out that this is often a consequence of 
of such high standards. You know, that players tend to get this criticism, you know, the, the top players. And I mean, Sadio Mane, he scored eight league goals this season. Um, you know, I think he's got another two in. I think he's got in other competitions. I'm not sure. I'll check it. But um, he's got eight league goals this season, which for about 90% of it are forwards in the Premier League. You know, to have eight league goals on the board in, in coming into January is, you know, was a good return. You know, it's solid, but obviously with him, it's not the case. Um, there's criticism there, and some of it, you know, is 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 I guess to an extent reasonable. I mean, he's <clears throat> according to if we just bring up on the stack quickly, um, you know, he's underperforming on their metric. He, he should have closer to maybe 10, 11 goals this season. Um, he underperformed last season as well. Uh, by about three or four goals, so you, you are seeing that. What are you going to say? I was just going to say, yeah, just just looking at those numbers, Dave, that you've got up there. Do you, do you find it a bit weird that this season and last, according to FBF, he's underperforming by about six goals? He's underperformed both seasons, but do you find it weird that the previous two seasons he was overperforming by about nine goals? Mm. It's funny how players can go through these periods where, at that point, I was thinking. Okay, Mane is an above-average finisher. He's in the mold of like Hyunming Son or, or someone like that. And then he, out of nowhere, flick of a switch, he starts to underperform expectation. Yeah, it, 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 this is this is always a bit of a battle. This because you, you're trying to determine whether um, there's like almost a reverting to the mean, I guess you know, kind of level a, a level now process. And I think to an extent there is an element to that because we've. We, we talk about forwards a lot, but we know that, you know, being a consistent goal scorer week in, week out over a long period is almost impossible to do. I think Mohamed Salah makes it look like it's achievable, but beyond that, I can't think of many players who consistently finish at a high rate. You know, it does seem to catch up with them and they, they seem to go through through these like fits and scoffs almost. I mean, even Harry Kane, you, you at one stage you would have put him, you know, in the Salah bracket, and now he's kind of fallen off a cliff a little bit as well. Um, I don't know what his numbers are off the top of me yet, but I know they've dropped. So with Mane, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if it for the, for those two years from 18 to 20, he was just, you know, in his peak years, a leaf finisher, absolutely flying. And then we're starting to see a regression in his ability, or if it's just if he's just in a period now of the, the last season and a half where he's just not um, maybe having the same, dare they say, fortune or, you know, just not being as clinical and, and it's noticeable. Yeah, I mean, th- these numbers are Premier League only, but over the course of the past five seasons, according to FB Ref, which uses stats bomb numbers, Mane's still in the green, he's, st- he's still overperformed. Um, by 2.1 goal, <clears throat> goals but at the, again there was a period where I thought he was an above average finisher and he was a period where I actually thought he's a better finisher than Salah but then if you look at Salah's numbers over the same period Salah's also overperformed but by 13.2 goals so if you look at if you look at that I, th- I think that's probably another reason why Mane is getting in the negative light a little bit. Not only is he falling a little bit, but Salah's absolutely on fire. Uh, and this season, Salah's overperforming by about four goals. He's got about four goals more than expectation based on the shots he's been presented with. 
compared to what he what he's been able to convert. So I don't think Salah's helped hurt Mane's perception. Not that it's on him to do that, but I think that just kind of overall paints Mane in a negative light. But overall, I don't think his actual performances have been that bad. Um, I think he's been much better than last season, personally. Mm. But just the finishing at times can, yeah. I think you can expect a little bit more from a player of his quality. But I suppose it was nice to see him on the score sheet against Chelsea. Yeah, I was gonna, I was <clears> gonna <throat> ask you that. Uh, I was gonna ask if you thought what you thought of his overall performances, um, because I'm just, I'm, I'm comparing some numbers briefly now. Um, I mean, shots per 90, you've said you thought he's, he's looked a little bit better this year, maybe a little bit more dangerous. And obviously, he's averaging 3.26 this season. It was about 2.9 last season. Um, so, he's, he maybe he's a bit busier in front of goal. Um, one of the ways that in terms of things like shot-creating actions, a little bit down from last season. Um, what's he doing in terms of dribbles? I don't know. It's tough. It, you know, little things like his, there, there has been a slight drop in the uh, number of dribbles he's making. He was 4.55 per 90 last season, 2.7 this season. But I don't that's necessarily... Actually, I was going to say, that's actually an interesting development that you usually do see with wingers, isn't it? That's one of the reasons why you, you eventually get rid of wingers when they get to the age of 30 or so, because they stop doing the things that made them special as a as a peak, peak age player. So do you th- so in your opinion then do you think there is a regression going on or do you think it there's just a narrative form because he's not converting at the same rate? I wouldn't necessarily call it a regression. I think he's I think he's changing. I think he's naturally changing. How old is he now? Twenty nine, maybe something like that. Um, uh, is, yeah, yeah. So he's uh, he's he's got he's coming up to his thirtieth in April. Yeah, see, I, I just think he's he's naturally getting to an age where maybe he's coming to feet a bit more. Maybe he's dribbling 1v1 a bit less, even though he's still doing it. Um, and maybe he's starting to subconsciously focus on other things as opposed to putting the ball in it, which is obviously still very much Salah's focus. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know, it's not, it's not something I mean to, I mean to look into too much. I do, I do think players generally naturally change anyway as they get older. Um but whether Liverpool still need a certain type of player and whether Mane will still be that, you know, in a year or two's time or whatever, uh, remains to be seen. Mm. But next on the agenda anyway is Luis Diaz. Uh, as of today, we are recording on the Thursday. He is in the news, really, in the Portuguese news at least, as a potential tiger for Liverpool, one to watch type thing. But I think it's interesting, Dave, that he was actually linked with Evan over the course of the, the last summer window. Yeah, yeah. So the um I think it was a little bit more than just paper talk as well. You know, I think the, the idea was Evan wanted to sign him. Um decided he's a good player, but there was a few issues in terms of the transfer fee. Um, you know, Everton have basically really uh hamstrung by FFP. So they were going to try and arrange some form of swap deal with him, maybe a bit of cash and James Rodriguez. Um, but uh, for whatever reason, didn't work with Rodriguez. Not sure if he didn't want to go or it was a little bit of a grey idea anyway. But the deal didn't end up happening. Um, and Diaz has since continued to uh, have a really, really strong campaign this season with, with, with Paul. So I don't know if his numbers are as good as last year. We might get into them now, but he still looks a really good player. And now, you know, the kind of next tier up 
of uh, of of top sides. So you know, regulars in the Champions League, etc. So your Liverpool's, for example, are starting to pay attention to him, and and it's easy to see why he's got a really exciting profile. Yeah, he's he's twenty four years old at the minute, so he is at the the typical age, I suppose, that Liverpool usually target. Um, and he is a left sided player who uses his right foot. So I suppose he in Liverpool's system he would be Sadio Mane. Um, but he's I, I'm not sure on it. I don't I don't think there's much in it. I'll be I'll be surprised if he's anything in this. I do think he's a good player. Uh, so far this season he scored twelve goals. None none of those penalties. This is in the uh, Portuguese first division. Uh, three assists as well. And he's uh, he's only behind Darwin Nunes in the Portuguese top league, but I'm pretty sure he's took penalties. Oh no, he hasn't. So he's he's second top scorer in the Portuguese league, um, playing from a, a starting wide position, and he's tricky, he's direct, uh, likes to dribble. Liverpool have played against him this year. I do think he was probably their biggest threat, but I I just can't see it. Porto seems to be. It seems to be pushing the news rather than anybody else. Um, they seem to be wanting more than he's really worth, I'd say. And I also think that I think the general uh, his, his conduct on the pitch, I don't think, is what Liverpool typically like. Um, not that he's like a, he, he's in a specific way, I don't like that, but I think he's too inclined to um, play act a little bit. Um, I think he's a bit dramatic when it comes to getting tackled. And just looking at the players Klopp has signed since Liverpool, since he's come to Liverpool, Liverpool don't usually buy players like that. You know, it takes quite a bit for Sadio Mane to go down. Same for Firmino. Um, some would argue against this, but I think the same with Salah. I think Salah's more 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 likely to go down um, when he's been given a real penalty opportunity as opposed to when he's getting, uh, you know, heavy physical aggression towards him or anything like that. Um, and I think Diaz just kind of has a bit of that about him that I don't think Liverpool would like, but it's that's just kind of my opinion. That's a bit of just opinion, I suppose. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, weirdly, I'm a little bit more on the camp that I could see him being on the on the shortlist if, if one exists. Um just because I feel like he does offer a lot. I mean, you touched on it there, you know, obviously being predominantly playing on the left, but with that being that kind of, uh, you know, right-footed. So he's he's a real danger cutting in. I think he's a really good dribbler. Uh, headache for defenders because you kind of have to toy up, you know. You try and get tight to him, but he seems to win a lot of fouls when you do that. Uh, give him too much space and he tends to punish you. So... I think he's just got a lot of traits that that could see him do well uh, at Liverpool, and I, I I think the reason I mean he's he's 24 now. I think the reason he was a little bit slow to come on the radar was he he wasn't he, he wasn't really having those contributions in terms of you know initially goals and assists. His first season in Porto, 1920, he um, he had six goals, two assists. Then last season, he built on that a little bit. Same number of goals, but five assists. And this is just, I'm only looking at league here. There was goals in Europe as well. But, you know, this season, it's it's, it's 12 goals, 15 appearances, plus another three assists. So I think he's just starting to to really, you know, grow and 
re- which ties in with him re- reaching his kind of peakish years. You know, years he'll be twenty five next birthday. So I don't know. I feel like it, it could be a possibility, to be honest, Josh. Uh, but the issue when you did kind of touch on it was, you know, Porto know he's kind of their their gem. Uh, they'll, they'll know they're going to lose him at some point, and they'll want a lot of money for them. And I just don't know if. With the interest around them, I don't know if Liverpool will be the one willing to, you know, pay big bucks. Yeah, I actually agree with what you're saying. Um, I do think he's he's good enough to be on Liverpool's shortlist. I think Liverpool will be aware of him and things like that. And again, I I wouldn't put it past him to do well if he did come to Liverpool, play within Liverpool's system and things like that. I do think he's got all those to his game. I just think, um, you know, he'll he'll have two years left on his on his deal this summer. Um, so I suppose you could get him for a reasonable price, but Porto seems to be asking for a bit more. And I just think, I think more than anything, I would be surprised if Liverpool look at him as the best wide forward they can get this summer. Um, I think they would go for. I think there's better options out there personally. Mm. Um, but I do think he's good. I do think he's. You know, he's, he's quite an active, busy player. He's very physical and things like that, very fast and stuff. So I do think he's in the mould. And I agree with you that he, will, that he will be on the shortlist and stuff. But I think I do think I would be surprised if Liverpool made a bid for him. Um, especially, you know, considering he's coming from... He's played all right in the Champions League, but he's coming from a league that um, is nowhere near the standard of, of the Premier League. So there's an element of risk attached to that when you sign those players. But I don't know. It's one to watch. Mm. Keep track of that one. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. Next on the agenda, I wanted to speak about Thiago uh, again. Sounds <laughs> to seem to speak about him every week, but I think <laughs> I, th- I think lately in particular, we are seeing what a Thiago-less Liverpool can look like, and I think specifically against Chelsea, it did not help um, having him absent, basically. Um, but I think people people have used the Chelsea game to talk about you know how we're missing Wijnaldum and stuff like that. I've said so many times I think Thiago was the Wijnaldum replacement, and I actually think he's a he's, he's a, a upgrade when he's on the pitch. But that's the big thing when he's on the pitch. He's not on the pitch anywhere near as much as Wijnaldum is. So it's an interesting one to assess because as a Wijnaldum replacement, as I said, I think he's an upgrade. I think he's a better player. I think he offers more value on the pitch, but. He's not there as much, so you know how do you how do you judge that? Does that then make them level almost as, or or maybe even give Wijnaldum a bit of a boost? I'm not sure. Yeah, it's a tough one, isn't it? Because um, the thing that we always so we we talked about Wijnaldum a lot, didn't he, when we were here? Because he was someone who tends to split the fan base a little bit. Most liked them, but just in terms of what he brought to the side, but. He was just an ever-present, you know, he was consistently fit, uh, which in itself is a huge trait, one that's often overlooked. And obviously because of various injuries and COVID-related issues, there's been a bit of the spotlight on Liverpool's midfield because it just looked a little bit bare at times, hasn't it? Um, and I guess to answer your question, it probably does level out the, um, the, the, the playing field a little bit between them because... There's, there's little doubt that as a technical player, Thiago's much better. I think he brings much more um, positive actions in terms of going forward in possession. Uh, but that's that, that's that's a little bit of a moot point if you if, if you're not on the pitch, you know. And I think that is his issue. And 
What I would say is, you know, a couple of the other big injury issues Liverpool have had, specifically the ones where it was like, a, you know, Van Dijk contact injury, Gomez, bit of a freak knee injury. Elliot, I thought Elliot was probably another, you talking about replacements, Josh, I think Elliot was a kind of natural uh, replacement and we saw how important he could have been. Then he take he picks up a an injury that's a bit of a freak injury, you know, it's not as if he's breaking down, it's a, it's a contact injury, isn't it? So uh, I think if it's contact injuries... Then it, it then it's okay, but when it's regularly breaking down for various reasons, which seems to happen a little bit with Thiago, then that's when it when it's a bit more problematic. Yeah, but I think when he, when he's on the pitch, he does have such an influence on Liverpool. Mm. So far this season, he's played nine. He started nine matches in all competitions. In those nine, Liverpool have won all nine, scored twenty five, and conceded two. Um. And I shared a little viz during the week of just goal difference. You can look at the, every player in the Premier League who's played at least 600 minutes. And you'll, you can look at what the goal difference for his team has been when that player is on the pitch. Um, and obviously we use expected numbers because sometimes football can, can deliver mad stuff. So mad occurrences such as penalties, refereeing decisions, fluke goals from 40 yards and stuff like that. So if we look at expected goal difference, uh, which people will see will have seen on the vis during the week, Thiago is is top on a per 90 basis for the whole Premier League. Um, whenever he's on a pitch, uh, Liverpool are about 2.4 expected goals ahead of their opponents. The next, I mean, the top of this table, I should say, is, is all Manchester City players, basically, because they've got the best goal difference. And then a few Liverpool players or whatever. So, second on the list is, is Ayman Laporte, and then Elkay Gundogan, and then Jack Grealish. And there's very little in all those, though. They're all about the same. But Thiago's pretty much on his own at the top when it comes to goal difference when he's on the pitch. Expected goal difference. Liverpool's next best player by the same numbers is Van Dijk. Um... Liverpool are about 1.6 goals better off than their opponents when Van Dijk's on the pitch. Um, and then there's a big group of Liverpool players below that. Matip, Fabinho, Trent, Henderson, all fairly similar. Um, but yeah, just Thiago as a whole, what he offers on the pitch and what Liverpool are like when he's not there, I think he's, I think he's so important. And Obviously, last season, there was a bit of debate as to whether he's even... I think whether he's even a good player or whatever. I think it was the, the beat at one point. Did they get uh, that dark at one point? Yeah, yeah. It was it was getting a bit daft at one point. Um, but I think he's. You can see this season, particularly with Liverpool having all the other departments working as normal. I think you can see what it's like when he's not there. And against Chelsea, I looked at the numbers the other day, and I know this doesn't always capture it, but if you look at the Chelsea game, Liverpool started. James Milner and Jordan Henderson as the team's two number eights in central midfield, right? Central midfield. James Milner posted, posted a pass completion of 61%. Um, and Jordan Henderson posted a pass completion of 69%. That's in central midfield for the top side wanting to dominate the ball. Now, again, that doesn't show everything and there's context to it. But I I... I feel like if Thiago's on the pitch, Thiago's posting at least eighty percent, in my opinion, from the start of the, from the start of the game at least. Um, 
And I, d- I think that that composure just helps you gain a foothold on the ball, gain a bit of control, lose a bit of chaos. And that was what I felt Liverpool needed in that game. Yeah, yeah, I'm trying to... I was trying to work out who actually won the possession on the day. Was it... A... It was... Yeah, Chelsea wasn't it? Chelsea 55. Yeah. Yeah, I'd agree. So the big thing with obviously past success rates and the reason why we're probably approaching a bit cautiously, cautiously, uh, yeah. cautiously I should say, is because um, it, it, it can sometimes be inflated in terms of what it's worth. But I think you're spot on on this occasion um, because it's not as if we're talking of a difference between, you know... X player uh, posted 88% and someone else posted 92%. You know, th- th- those numbers you've just said are really low. And if you think about um, the importance of that position, uh, if, if you think about what it entails in terms of control and possession, moving the ball from side to side, playing it forward, just keeping play, t- you know, recycling the ball, taking it over, you know, that is really low. Uh, and that to me says two things. Um that they struggled to to do it successfully, and perhaps there was they were a little bit frantic in the in, in passing choices. And I think both of those things, Josh, probably would match up with the eye test in terms of in terms of what we saw in the game uh, from both of them. I actually thought on the subject of being a little bit frantic. I don't know what about you, but if we use Henderson as the example, I thought a lot of times, and this is not something I can necessarily just capture in numbers, but just from while I, was, while I was watching, I felt like he was a little bit prone to pressing the ball uh, a lot more than maybe thinking about Mark and space uh, and thinking about the overall structure of the team. And I felt like it just left too many gaps or a couple of people exposed around him. Uh, I'm not picking on him only. I'm just you know using that as an example of the kind of frantic nature. At times, I thought that the midfield was in, in terms of it, how it was approaching things. Yeah, I, d- I did think, to be honest, it was one of Henderson's worst games in, in a while, actually. Um, I am generally a fan of Henderson. I think Henderson starts in Liverpool's best team, but this was one of his bad ones. Um, the only player who posted, the only starter who posted a lower pass passing accuracy than Milner was Jota, uh, who was obviously a forward playing in highly pressurised areas high up the pitch. And the only two starters who posted a lower passing accuracy than Henderson, except for Milner, were Jota and Simicas. Again, Simicas is taking a few more risks, playing on the flanks and stuff like that. But I think in centre midfield, you just expect a little bit more. People thought Fabinho had a bad game. For a bit of context, Fabinho posted 89%. Um, only actually misplaced five passes, uh, which placed him top of Liverpool on the day. Um but again, past completion numbers, you know, there's a lot of context in there that's lacking on, on a lot of occasions. But I think in this case, it does capture one of the issues on the day. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. So for the final 20 minutes or so, uh, the fun part, I suppose, Dave, transfers. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so we, we agreed beforehand that. Uh, the two problem positions, maybe the two problem areas for Liverpool to upgrade are in midfield and up front, basically. So a forward and a midfielder. Um, we left it open to interpretation as to whether you think a midfielder should be an eight or a six or a striker or a left-sided forward or whatever, number 10. Um, I don't know Dave's answers. Dave doesn't know mine as usual. So Dave, 
I'll let you kick off, mate. We'll start with midfielders. Yeah. So I feel a little bit disappointed this time because I don't. I feel like we normally like to bring, you know, uh, maybe a little bit more under the radar selections, and maybe maybe you have, uh, but on this occasion I've just gone for a little bit more realistic because I know we may look at doing a, one of our transfer shows in the next week or two. Um, so in terms of midfielder, um, I, 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 I'm, I'm going to highlight uh, Frank Kessier, AC Milan. Um, you know, not not very out out, out the box, but. I think you're looking at a really uh, a really good profile from a Liverpool perspective who potentially could be available in the summer. Um obviously he's he, he I think he'd be he'd be an interesting player based on abilities alone. Uh but does this add a level of appeal in that, you know, his his contract's due to expire in the summer. Um and he's not it doesn't look like he's going to agree in an extension, which means somebody can potentially benefit from getting him for free. Um, and from a Liverpool standpoint, I think he's got loads of traits that 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 you know are really beneficial. Uh, he, he can be quite versatile. He tends to play in a double pivot because uh, Milan usually use a four-two-three-one, but he's he's quick, he's strong, you know, he's mobile, press resistant, which I thought was one of Wijnaldum's best traits. Uh, but he's also pretty good in in possession as well. You know, he um, he can play a wide range of passes. Um, normally fairly accurate in them. I mean, he's, let's have a look, he's about 91% pass success rate this season, which again, you know, sometimes a really high pass success rate can paint a picture of a quite a safe player, you know, a player five or 10 yards, just looking to to do short balls, keep play ticking over. I think he's capable of that, but I also think he can be a little bit more penetrative as well, which is, a, which is obviously something that we talked about in the past that, has been missing at times in the Liverpool midfield without the likes of Thiago on the pitch. Um, so I think he's just a good age, he's about 25. He just ticks a lot of boxes, Josh, and I think he's someone, he's a player that there could be this potential realism there in terms of, you know, maybe one day joining Liverpool. Yeah, no, it's a good shout. He uh, played against Liverpool fairly recently, I think, uh, for AC Milan Champions League twice. Uh, so yeah, good player. Uh, my choice is, I suppose, even more obvious. <laughs> if people know Kessie, they'll know this lad. Uh, but I've got reasoning behind it. So my, my shout is Yuri Tillemans. Um And the reason I've gone for him, hear me out on this one, because there'll be immediate fans, I suppose, listening to think, this. Yeah. yeah. The reason I think this is because this summer, he will have a year left on his deal. When, when I say that, Dave, I mean as in a uh, price. I oh, think sorry, okay, okay. I thought you meant like people who didn't rate him, but yeah. I no, 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 no. Sorry, mate, yeah. No, I think people will think Leicester will charge, you know, billions for this lad. Hmm. But this summer, he'll have a year left on his deal. And the indication is that he's not going to sign a new one. And given the Leicester model, they, they will sell him, in my opinion. So, in my opinion, this summer, Tielemans leaves Leicester. Liverpool obviously need a midfielder. Tillemans is currently a really good age. He's 24, uh, 25 fairly soon now. Um, and across the board, he's just a very, very attractive player, I think. Uh, last season, he played over 3,000 minutes in the Premier League, featured in all 38 of Leicester's Premier League games. And the season before that, he featured in 37 of Leicester's 38 Premier League games. So, 
you've got a big tick there next to you know availability, uh, which is something that we've obviously lost when my albums left. Um, and I think generally, if you watch him play, I think he's vaguely similar to Wijnaldum in terms of just having a really adaptable, modern skill set. I think he's very composed. I think he's also quite press resistant. I think his passing range is is well in advance of, of Wijnaldum, to be honest. Um, I think he's probably evolved into Leicester's best player. Uh, Leicester had lots of potential when Rodgers first arrived there. You know, they had... They had Harvey Barnes, they had James Madison, Tielemans. Um, and I think the player who's evolved the most is Tielemans. I think Madison's stood still a little bit. Barnes stood still a little bit. But I think Tielemans has grown. And, you know, he, he's international. I think he, I think Liverpool will be able to get him. Get him. Obviously, he's Premier League proven as well, which is which is a nice thing. And, you know, Liverpool got that in Diogo Jota. Um, but I think if you look at Tielemans as a whole, and consider that he's out of contract in 2023. I think Liverpool might be able to get to get him for about 40 million, maybe. Um, and I think if you look at the alternative options, someone like a, a Florian Neuhaus, maybe who, who we've talked about in the past, and who Liverpool have been linked with in the past. I think there's just more or more risk attached to buying a player like that, considering he hasn't done it in England. Uh, I think it's a little bit cliche, but. Tillemans is quite clearly proven at a very, very high level. Um, you know, he went winning cups for Leicester last season on his own and things like that. And, um, one of the best players in the Premier League, clearly. Very progressive in his passing. So, it's quite a... Uh, hasn't really been reported much. haven't seen any, any major links, really, with Liverpool and Tillemans this season or anything like that. But I think that's one that could, just out of nowhere come out as oh Liverpool have agreed a deal you know like, like I did with Jota yeah yeah yeah. and I think it would be a good deal as well I think obviously he's a really good player and I guess which you addressed at the start uh, I guess why nobody speaks about him more is because you kind of look at it and think okay well he's he's had a Premier League rival uh, he's a key player there uh, they won't let him go cheap so he's almost on it you'd admire him but you'd, you'd accept he's not really an option but as you've just pointed out, that potential is there uh, in the future, and he, he def- he, he's definitely someone you could see as a as a Liverpool midfielder. I, I I don't know if you mentioned it then, Josh. How old is he now? Twenty four. Yeah, so he's still. He feels like he's been around for a little, little while, but he's still like really a really well, that's, good age. That's, that's what I mean. If you, th- if you think of the experience he's got, uh, you know, he's played for for Leicester. He's played in the Champions League. He's played in the European Championships. Mm-hmm. Played for Monaco. Andelect, all of that, you know, something like eight, three, eight full seasons. I think he might have uh, under his belt because he played, he played two thousand minutes in the Belgian first division for Andelect, age sixteen. So wow. he he's been around forever, mate, but still only twenty four. And I think if you're gonna if you want to minimise risk attached to to buying players, I mean, there's very little risk attached to Tillemans, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, that's a great. He's 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 a really good midfielder. Um, forwards onto forwards. Yeah, go on. I like you to take the lead. Yeah, so <clears throat> I think again, you know, what this forward is have you gone for? Where, where whereabouts? Or I've gone I've gone through the middle actually. Uh, okay. I was tempted to go out wide, but with us talking about Diaz, I thought you know what, uh, I'll maybe I'll maybe just go through the middle. Uh, and again, a familiar name, but someone I just 
I feel like can't ignore and his, his kind of credentials have improved again and it's it's Jonathan David. Um have you? Yeah. Have you gone for him? <laughs> yeah, I'll, go on that. I'll say a few bits and then I'll, I'll pass it over to him. But I think what's what's good about this, Josh, when it happens, when we do this, is it it kind of adds a little bit of weight as to why we um why there's the interest there. Because you know, you look at him now, he's he's obviously Gone from the Belgium League into Lille. Uh, Lille's business has always tends to be fairly impressive. Certainly has been in, in, in with this modern Lille. You know the, the 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 kind of structure they've had. They've done really well in terms of rearing players and then selling the profit. Um, I think he is. He's gone there. Um, having done really well in, in Belgium and he's done really well in in with Lille as well. Even this season, obviously the won the league title last season. This year, they, they fell off a little bit um, in terms of, you know, competing for the title. They're definitely not going to win it again. I think they're somewhere near mid-table. But he still managed to score 12 goals in 19 appearances, um, another three in the Champions League. He hasn't got any assists, which when we spoke about him, you know, two years ago, uh, that he, he seemed to have a lot of that to his game because he, he operated almost like him behind the forwards. He was very versatile, could play like a 10 or as a 9. He's more playing as that out-and-out striker at the moment for Lille, so that's, that probably explains why he's finishing moves rather than helping help create them. But he's just a he's a really dynamic player. I think he's he's really dangerous coming short, link and play, but he's also able to run in behind. He's clinical, as we've seen. You know, he's got a lot of traits that... Uh, would benefit Liverpool's number nine, you know, similar ones to Firmino, but then he's, he, he seems to just be a lot more clinical. Uh, he's still just 21, coming up to 22. Um, and one final thing before I pass over to you, Josh, was, and we don't normally say this with players, but I think it's worth highlighting. <clears throat> when I look at his contract, all right, he signed a five-year contract in 2020, but that'll obviously be Lille protecting their position in terms of sales. He's only on something like 35 grand a week. Which uh, you know, it's only about five grand more than what you're on a week, Josh. But it's uh, <laughs> but at the point I make it, you know, you come to Premier League, you come to Liverpool, that's going to massively shoot up, isn't it? Uh, and I know maybe some of the purists would argue it shouldn't be about money, but I think uh, I think that's going to be another little uh, string in the bow, so to speak, of uh, of potentially this deal and how it might benefit Liverpool because that's not for the player of his quality. That's a pretty small weekly wage. Yeah, and when you say it's going to massively shoot up, Liverpool could technically double it and he'd still be yeah. very, very low on Liverpool's mm-hmm. earning list. So, yeah, it's it's a nice thing. Liverpool obviously very focused on, on keeping the wage built to a certain level and stuff like that. So if we got him in, uh, that would allow the clubs to do that. But, yeah, there's not, there's not too much I can add on what you've just said there, to be honest. Um, one element that I do like about this game, or that I don't think you mentioned, is he is very two-footed. Um, so, since he moved to Lille, so that's this season and last season, he scored 25 goals and you've had 14 with his right foot, 10 with his left foot and one with his head. So, I always think that's a nice thing. Mm. Uh, I think Liverpool think it's a nice thing as well, considering the links to Jared Bowen and considering Jota's signature. You know, Jota's been always very two-footed as well. Um, and as you said, he's... Just a very, a very nice forward. Uh, I think Liverpool have, have generally not st- not signed a single striker since uh, since Klopp arrived. We've been asked questions about that on the show before as to why that's the case. 
And my response was just generally being, um, I think Liverpool target these under-the-radar players, but it's hard to identify an under-the-radar striker because if a striker's doing well, he's probably scoring goals. And yeah. if, he, if a player's scoring goals, everyone knows about him. So it's hard to find a, a striker who can who you can get for a reasonable price, who's different under the radar or whatever. But if you look at David, um, this season currently is the fourth season in a row in which he scored at least ten non-penalty league goals. Uh, so he's got quite he's developing quite a proven record. He's he's on ten at the minute in League One this season without penalties. Thirteen last season, fifteen the season before, and twelve the season before that. And that's in Belgium for two seasons and France for two seasons. Um, so there's a bit of a proven record there. And in terms of his availability, again, it looks really, really good. Last season, he featured in 37 of Lille's um, 38 games. And season before, 27. Season before that, 33. And so far this season, he's featured in 19 from a possible 19. So, yeah, he's uh, available all the time. So, I just think, you know, looking at him, considering as well, another major thing, he was on Liverpool's shortlist last season. Um, but Liverpool signed Jota. So, we know he's on Liverpool's shortlist. We know Liverpool are aware of him. Hmm. Me and Dave have been big fans of him for a while, you know, on this podcast and stuff. His numbers look as good as you're going to get, really, I suppose, in terms of, uh, you know, a... Uh, a talent who's got potential who can maybe make a step up and things. So it just looks like it makes a lot of sense really, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's it. And you know, there are players who who you can kind of find across Europe who are number nines who are scoring goals. Uh but the reason we like we like him is he just has that little bit more. You know, that he, he kind of has the potential to maybe um ease that transition from Firmino um because of his profile and it's quite. I can't think of many equivalents to him out there. Um, you know who kind of have that whole package that he has with with the goals, and and, and that's why he's such an interesting prospect. And he's at the perfect club, really, because uh, you know Lille will will sell. You know they will accept that he's going to be sold at some point, and it's just where he ends up. And you, you do kind of see Liverpool as an environment that he could really thrive in. Yeah, what one slight issue maybe is I think in comparison to last season, uh, there's probably going to be a bit more competition for this sign. Um, I've seen Arsenal link with him. Mm. See, I think Lacazette runs out of contact this summer, and Aubameyang doesn't look like he's got much of a future there either. So Arsenal might be in for him potentially. I think I've seen him link with other clubs from from Europe, potentially into Milan or someone like that. Uh, I think I saw him link with West Ham this month. Yeah, um, I saw that one as well. Yeah, uh, but he's just an incessant player, isn't he? And uh, he, he was my pick. He was your pick. So that's, I think that obviously is a good thing, I suppose. Um, mm. And it means we can finish the podcast six minutes early. <laughs> well, yeah, unless just someone's disappointed. But uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll add the six minutes on another another week. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we will be back next week to talk more about transfers type stuff but rather than doing specifically to Liverpool this summer we'll just be talking on about players across Europe that are taking our fancy so that typical yearly scouting episode that we seem to do where we flag players who are potentially the next big thing I suppose yeah. um, 
but yeah, Dave, thanks for joining us, mate. It's good to be back. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. All the best, everyone, for the uh, new year, and thanks for listening into us both. And uh, yeah, we will be back next week. So thanks for tuning in, and see you then. You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red Channel.